0: Psalm 119, what a rich book, and as Pastor Tri has been teaching along, uh, we have six every single time we meet together, and today we'll be going through 33 all the way through 48. Uh, The first section, 33 through 40, I just want to let you know this is kind of, here's where we're going to go, and then we're going to go there, and then we'll kind of recap from there. The very first eight verses talk about loyalty to God's word and a plea for guidance not only for guidance, but also that he would he would allow that psalmist to have life. And so, as we look at the fifth letter of the alphabet, he that is where we're going with those eight verses. And then the next eight verses will be, boy, yeah, will be salvation through God's word, and liberty comes through uh, loving God's word. And that is actually va or V. You, know, you probably unless you have your your Hebrew background uh, from whatever school you went to then that won't be as clear to you as to some people who speak Hebrew. So let's read through it first. And I'm just going to go ahead and see if I can look through the blinding lights here. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servants so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts, and your righteousness preserve my life. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out for your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings, and I will not be put to shame, and will not be put to shame. As we look at this passage, we see... Uh, some really rich things, and at the very end, he he uh, connects up this idea uh, of delighting in the in the law of the Lord. He says, "For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees." And as we look at this passage, we'll recognize that uh, this is a the psalmist is again is is extolling us, is encouraging us to appreciate. What God's word is and how important it is. I want you to think right now, if you did if God would have God could have done anything. He chose to to create this nation, the Israelites, and to to, through them to to speak his word through his prophets, and then we we have this book that we have to operate from. If you want to think of it as a manual, that's one thing but it's so much more. It's not just a manual. It's where we go for our truth and for when we're in times of, of difficulty, for, really for peace. Uh, it is a book that is unparalleled in any sense. Even just from a, a secular sense, there is nothing that compares with the Bible. Think about if God would not have given us His Bible or His Word, the Bible. Think of the ramifications of that. What would you know is true? What would you know is for sure? And not to, to, to get into it too far, but just recognize that we take for granted everything that we've learned from, this, from, this, from God's word, most of it we've read, most of it we read. And we have this ability to actually take this book and read it for ourselves and have the Holy Spirit teach us and instruct us every single day. We don't need another person. You don't need Pastor Mike to, to read your Bible for you. And thank heavens, because it's a daily thing. And you're going to be reading this and, and encouraging, I'm encouraging you to, to read it, to be able to read what God has for you that day. What, what he wants to say to you. But to not take this for granted, this is such a gift It is a huge gift. The Holy Spirit is this huge gift. And the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave us his word. And as we read through this psalm, we need to recognize that that's what the psalmist is telling us is like things would be so different if we didn't have his word. And so as we read this, uh, recognize this, and this first word here, he, is actually to means to cause. And so it's to cause me to walk, to cause me to stay in your path. To cause me this, it's, it's always preceding a verb. And so as you read through these first eight verses with this, that's the idea that's there. So to teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. And if we look at this verse, we think he, what he's asking for is, is that you would teach me so deeply the depths of your word that I would be drawn towards it, that I would follow you for the rest of my life that I would follow you to the end. I would never give up my faith. And so hes it's actually kind of a prayer is what it really is. Teach me deeply. And I remember when I first read the Bible for when I was a believer, when I became belie- a believer at 19, I started reading the words that I had read all of my life previously, and there was a light that just completely turned on. It's like, I get some of this. And as you read more and more, and as you grow more and more, you grow deeper and deeper in your faith and a sense of peace comes over you because we trust in what God has said verse 34 says give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart have you ever tried to 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 to, to not do something maybe it was your habit was cussing okay I'm just going to have you just kind of mentally raise your hand in your head. If this was ever an issue in your life, that you just, you okay, (laughs) some people, and some people just can't help themselves, but (laughs) mostly, (laughs) I have to say, when when someone comes to Christ, a lot of times, I mean, they just, and this is what Jesus wants, he wants you to just come to him, and then he's going to start doing what? He's going to start taking over the living room and then he's going to take over the bedroom, and then he's going to take over the bathroom. Well, the living room, cussing is not one of the first things that Jesus is going to eliminate necessarily from an unsaved person's life. So say you worked in construction all of your life, and all of a sudden Jesus came to you, and you understood who Jesus was. Do you think at that point in time that you're going to stop using the vocabulary of construction the next day? Not going to happen, is it? And what we see with this is that whenever we struggle with something like cussing or whatever it is, whatever the sin is, is that, is that word allows us to become closer and closer to Jesus and to actually weed some of those things out and so that we can actually start following his law. You look at the, I used to look at the Ten Commandments and I was like, no way, couldn't do it, not, not, not even for a day. Could you keep the Ten Commandments for a day? Any takers? <laughs> and then you read Matthew 5 and you think, oh, so if I think something, it's like I did it, because God, of course, sees everything that you do. And if I say something mean, that's like murder. And then all of a sudden you realize I've taken down my hand. I don't think I could do that for a day. Because I can get pretty miffed at someone who's in front of me who just takes the maybe the slower route than I'm taking, and that's murder, okay? <laughs> And you realize, oh, so different. God's word points out those things and, and slowly reforms us. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find the light. How many of you have ever, I call it the exam prayer. This is the night before the exam or the day of the exam or the minute before the exam. And you're like, God, give me direction. Give me, I got this big decision and I'm gonna ask you to give me direction. And, and God, he's always there. But this is not talking about asking for last minute direction. This is asking that the word would actually provide a path for you that your lifestyle and that your way of life would follow along with his word naturally. Every single day, you would you lower yourself down and your ear would to be to the floor to hear what God wants you to do that day. And it could be the way that you pursue your education. Could be the way that you pursue pursue dating could be the way you pursue your job and how you see that job from 8 to 5 or 12 to 6 or whatever it is. Oh, now that's different because God has now given you that. And so that pathway is something that God is we we pray that God would allow our lives to be a pathway that he could be a blessing to the world. Have you ever met somebody who's really good at their job and loves the Lord? I meet them all the time and you can see it. It's very, very easy to see. And you realize that they have fouled a pathway in which God has ordained for them, and they are just working in the way that they are. They're skilled to work, and they are doing their job in a way that would just be in accordance with what God wants them to do for that that day, or even for their career path as they go along. Direct me in my path for your commands, for there I find delight. Remember the verse that says, Delight in the Lord and he will give you what? Delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You don't always hear the Bible talking about heart a lot, like following your heart. It's like, no, but delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm thirty-seven four. you realize that there's a delighting that happens and, and sometimes it's about following his commands and that those two things are connected. He goes on, Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Okay, now, show of hands. Have you ever had trouble with coveting? Okay, some of you voted, good, good. Okay, and if you didn't, and if you didn't, uh, you will, because every time you turn on the TV... And you have an advertisement, and some guy turns on his, the audibles go way up, and he's talking really fast, and he's like, you need this because you don't have good skin, so you're going to need this stuff to swab all over yourself, or you're going to need this because you might die, so you need some insurance or whatever. And you realize that, really, that covetous desireness is what drives all of that. Balaam, covetousness. David, man, a guy after his own heart, why did he sin? What was it? His eyes were on something else. And that started the whole chain of events Uriah and all the murder and the adultery. And he realized, wow, covet, covetousness. Turn my heart towards your statutes. And sometimes our eyes direct our heart. So it's really important to be, to be really cognizant of what you watch or what you spend time doing because as, as the eyes go, sometimes the heart goes there too. Perfect example is David. That's where that went. And when he should have been out hunting or out uh, at war with all the other kings, his eyes were off the target. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. What's worthless? Oh, my Snickers. This whole COVID thing threw me off my, my deal. I don't even know if I can, they even sell Snickers yet. But <laughs> what is <laughs> what is a worthless thing? TV. Did I hear clothes? Okay. (laughs) You go, girl. (laughs) I see. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking like 15 pair of shoes or, okay, that would be me. Okay, so there we are. (laughs) Can't throw them away. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Worthless can sometimes be something that has no value to you because it's old or it doesn't look nice or it's the old shirt in the closet, or it could be something that has no long-term value. What about that? Is that still worthless? It can be. What if it has no benefit to someone else? What if what you think is valuable is something that is going to distract you from the very best. Now, could we say that's worthless? Because the value between the two are so discrepant that to spend your effort and your time here would be at the expense of here. And then you go, oh, that's what that word means. It doesn't mean just worthless that way. It means lesser than what God would want us. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. TV, TV. Clothes. It could be whatever your fixation is. That you. This is my next thing. Whatever it is, it could be a gun. Okay. It could be an elk. It could be a critter with a horns on it. It could be a fish. I'm sorry to say, Chance. Where's Chance at? I thought I could get him today. You tell Chance that he got, he got burned today. Okay. It could be fishing. <laughs> Chance loves the fish, and then he barter's with those fish for things he really likes. Preserve my life according to your word. Oh, this means revive me. This means I want a revival in my life. This is to look at God's word and say, God, revive me. I need reviving. I, I have a spirit inside of me that needs that. We all need that right now. We do because we, we've experienced lust. God's word is where we turn to. God's people Is who we turn to. Those are not worthless things because the three things that are eternal are God, God's people, and what? And God's Word. Those are not worthless things. So if something that we fix our eyes on benefits someone else, not worthless. If it has eternal value, not worthless. Great, great value. Spending time in God's Word, spending time with God's people, encouraging, building up, bringing people into the fold, being a part of the seeding and the watering that God does as the Holy Spirit comes to, to bring someone to His salvation is very, very important. And this word about God allowing us to see ourselves this way, there's a, there's a disgrace or an insult that we as Christians sometimes experience because... Well, because we believe in this book, and it's so old and archaic, and it's something that's not kind of in vogue. Second Corinthians says this, "...that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore." Oh, and you look at that, you realize and in the, in the outside of the camp and inside the, the camp, there's too many dynamics to explain there. But it all has to do with where you take things when there's a disgrace. And you realize it. And then Peter says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Because you trust in this book, because you value things that are, not, that are truly not worthless, you will be looked down upon. I challenge you to go to work tomorrow and say, I don't, go, I don't watch TV because it's worthless. I challenge you to say that out loud. It'd be, it'll start some interesting conversations. It really will. You will be disgraced or insulted whether you realize it or not because you're living differently than what? Than in maybe somebody else. And I'm not saying we're supposed to be antagonistic to do that. I'm just saying it it is true that we will will fall into that category. And are you willing to fall into that category for the sake of God's word? To be in his word, to live the pathway that he has has ordained for us? Because there's a choice that has to, to happen. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. When God doesn't does it again, it's like oh. Every time that there's a new discovery and God's word is come is is shown to be true, you just think to yourself, "Wow, okay, God, you showed yourself again." But this one, it says, "Fulfill your promise to your servant." And what he's saying is is, is that you know what? In my life, I want you to to change it, make it such a way that that I that I am a changed person that that promise that, that he will make me a new creation, a brand new creation, is true, so that I will be a testimony to the people who see what God did in my life. Remember when the, when the Israelites were coming into the promised land? Uh, well, uh, well, there was actually, the spies came in, and, and they talked to this, this person who, who uh, actually kind of aided and abetted them for a while, And she kept care of him. And the reason why she kept care of him, even though she didn't believe in God necessarily, have a relationship with God because, is because she feared the Lord because what she had seen the God of Israel do. And you realize, wow, that's the impact as God's, as people see what God does in each one of our lives, that He is, He is given, He was just given credence, credibility because of the changed lives that we have. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. We just talked about the disgrace and insult we sometimes have. How I long for your precepts and your righteousness preserve my life. Do you long for God's word? Have you ever come back to church after having a little, I'll call it a break, maybe it's a, some rendezvous, maybe up. you were gone for a little while because you were on, on vacation and couldn't find a church, whatever and you come into church and you, you hear a sermon, and I will, I, I'm i not kidding you, I have had people who have been off the mountain, or coming off the mountain maybe two, three weeks, and, and they come in, and they are here in church, they hear God's word, and afterwards they say, that spoke to me so much. And I'm like, well, that was pretty much basic kind of theology here. What was going on? They missed God's word. And when God's word is a continual diet that you are feeding on, you will miss it. And how we are to just be attracted to and to set our sights on what God has to say to us. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Unfailing love. And you recognize, wow, God's love is unfailing because you're going to sin when? Tomorrow? No. When? When you get in the car and you yell at your kids or your husband or whatever or the waitress who's too late. And yet God's love goes away at that time, right? No, your unfailing love come to me, that you would present, you, you put in me such a sense of peace that our relationship is so solid. Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Oh, God says, I will make you a new creation. Uh, what a beautiful picture, this unfailing love, like there's nothing you can do to mess this up. I lived in fear the fact that I would die someday and that I would have all these sins that I could not clean off my plate but God's unfailing love through his promise that he would wipe all of those things as far as the east is from the west is so, so important. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Then there's that taunt and there's that idea that not everyone is going to believe that the Bible is even even valuable, much less true. And as in Acts, the book of Acts, this isn't new, this is 2,000 years old, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Be bold. Don't be obnoxious, but be bold. Tell them your story. Tell them that you think this is absolutely true and there's no other book that compares with it. Be bold because that is the source of our life. Never take your word, never take your word of truth from my mouth for I have put my hope in your laws. Wow. What if God's word could be taken away? Now, we know it can't because for thousands of years, people have been trying to do it, right? But they have not succeeded. The Bible's still here. It's in print. It's, there's more copies of that sold than anything else ever, and it's always been that way. And you realize, though, that the psalmist is saying, please, please. Don't allow the word that I've memorized, the word that I've learned, to escape from me. Don't take your word away from me. This is where we recognize, again, this is a privilege. This is not just, oh, yeah, God, you yeah, know, the Bible, and so we got this. This is a huge privilege. We have God's word, and he's saying, don't take it from me. I will always obey your law forever and ever. And he is actually praying that he will always obey his law Forever and ever, it is a prayer as much as anything else. And then he says, "I will walk, I will walk about, walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame." And the question is, are you free? Are you free? When I was growing up, religion was kind of oppression to me and my, the religion I grew up in. So I'm not against religion, first of all, I want to say that. I'm not against religion, but I'm against a Christless religion, a religion that teaches that my works will pay for my salvation. That is not true. I grew up that way. I'm against a religion that teaches us that there's anything more important than Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross. And then you realize that freedom comes actually not from, from what other people would think as being an oppressive book that has all these commands, 600 and some commands. How oppressive is that? And then you realize, and you men will know this, that sometimes you try to put things together that you receive in the mail or that you're supposed to put together for mom because it's, maybe it's Father's Day and you're putting things together. Who knows? And you just take the instruction, manual. I don't need this. And you start working through it. And after a while, you're like, don't need that piece, don't need that piece. You have an absolute mess on your hands. And then you realize the most freeing thing that you have is to take up a manual that will direct the paths of your life, tell you how to live, how to, how to, how to do relationships, how to work, how to deal with forgiveness and unforgiveness and all of these difficult things. And there's actually a manual for that, much more than a manual, but it is a manual and you realize wow that is so so valuable that is hugely valuable that is a sense, source of freedom and if you've ever been in the middle of an automotive project or something and you find you get to the point like I can't I don't know what to do I don't know where I don't know where this goes the most freeing thing is for someone to come up behind you and say this is the way walk in it and so a lot of times i think people would say religion is such such a, a such a a noose around my neck. I would never want to be a religious person. Oh, Christ sets us free. He sets us free. He, He completely sets us free from the law. And once you've lived under the law, and I lived under the law for 18 years, there is a weight that comes off your shoulders that's about, well, however heavy you are, 100, 200 pounds, whatever it is. And you realize that it is so freeing to have what Jesus talked about in John 8, which is this. He says, "To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, "If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free." They answered him, "We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free?" Jesus replied, "Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if you try to live up to the commandments, and I'll just give you the top ten, and you make it to the end till next Sunday, I will tell you that you're an amazing specimen of a human being in God's image because it is probably not going to happen. But when the sun sets you free and someone says, "And if I ask you, are all of your sins accounted for and paid for because the sun has set you free?" That is a freedom that allows us, sets us free to no longer try to live up to the law and not sin. And this is that chocolate cake analogy, or if you like blizzards, that's your thing. If there's a chocolate cake or blizzard or whatever your favorite thing is, and all you think about is don't eat it, don't eat it, don't eat it, what eventually will you do? You'll eat it. But if your focus, your eyes, your heart, remember where your eyes go, your heart is? If your eyes are no longer on that, but it's on serving God and not this commandment list that you're supposed to do. I got to keep those ten commandments. I got to keep those ten commandments. And that chocolate cake is there, and you're just staring here. I was like, man, those ten commandments are so heavy. But if you're so busy doing God's ministry, that is a different thing. The sun sets you free. He gives you a purpose. We are co-missionaries with Christ. And now what he's saying is, is you know what? this word that you are to share with everyone else will also not only set you free, but all the people who you share your story and this word with. For I delight in your commands because I love them. Ah, do you delight in his commands? You should. They set you free. And because we delight in them so much, there is a love for his word. It is the most important thing in my life because if this is not true, then everything I'm hoping for is what? I heard Bob, Bob Warrior say this, and I think he, okay, so don't, don't hang Bob on this one, but he, he said, we were in small group, he said, it's not that this life is just so short, because we were talking about how it's a vapor, and how it's, I mean, it seems like, you know, after a while, time goes so fast. It's not that this life is so short. It's just being dead is so long. And I think, that is how the world sees it. That's not how we see it do we this is an infinitesimally small let's call it a centimeter there's like thirty nine point seven of those in a me or in a, in a foot or three feet and so you realize if we went out to around the earth and earth and earth and around and around and around we got down there this life is still this much of an eternity that just keeps going around and around and around and when we have our focus on his commands and his promises that tell us that eternity is what we were built for. You were not built for this world. This is not your thing. You're here on loan for about however many years. We don't know how many days. I don't know how many days. You're on loan to this world to be a blessing to it, to bring to other people the freedom that you have found, that they too might have an eternity that is very, very long and very, very good. 48, I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Wow. If I asked you how many of you meditate, I hope most of you would raise your mental hands in your mind. But the truth is is that meditation is a lot simpler than you think. It's taking a verse, reading it in the morning, and thinking about it the whole day. Just thinking about it. It's not some... Eastern thing. It's not. It's not like trying to get your head, try to get everything out of your head. It's about taking this very small piece if necessary and eating and chewing it and gnawing on it like a cow does and realizing I'm going to drink everything I can from that today because that was my bread for the day. How exciting that is to think that God has given us his very special gift that we could gnaw on it from morning till night, that it would enrich us, that it would help us to understand his promises. What a blessing it is to be one of his kids. Some of some thoughts from this section of 16 verses. Do you turn to God in his word to direct your path, Not just at the last moment, an exam situation, I got this thing I got going on at work. No, do you say, God, lead me, in my, in my path? Do you love God's word? Where do you find your greatest joy? Those are two connected questions. Do you share his word or your faith story with others? When you have the opportunity, when it's just there, and someone is maybe in need or asking questions. Am I in bondage to sin or others' approval? We fall so much into that. If a a king says to you, do you believe this is true? Do you bow down and say, no, I, I don't really think it's true. Or do you say, no, it's absolutely true. I believe that that is absolutely true. Am I free? Do I need personal revival in my life? And maybe that's you today. You need personal revival. Recognizing that his word is where revival comes from, being around his people who also are in his word, personal in uh, this revival, uh, you need a small group. You need to be around people and his word, okay? I'm just putting those two things together and going, okay, I think that would be a super good thing for you to do you're, if you're feeling estranged from the Lord. And then, am I saved? Boy, I, I don't want you to, I don't want anyone online or here today to not know that Jesus has probably, if you're here today or online and you are not one of his children, it is no secret why you are listening to this service online or here because he's probably calling you to admit that you're a sinner and that you can't live even till tomorrow before you're gonna sin and that you need to believe that Jesus did die on a cross, a cross that was made for you and he died in your place. He is a substitution for you and that you are choosing to follow him in the best way that you can to spend time in his word and to, to learn him, learn about him more so that you have a closer and closer relationship, much like you're dating someone. And as you get to know them, you love them more and more because you know the intimate details of that person's life. And that's really what Psalm 33 through 48 is all about. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word that we might eat it, that we might meditate on it, that we might love it, that we might direct the paths of our lives, that we might get up every morning and ask you, Lord, direct me Give me the wisdom to know, to make the decisions that would be pleasing to you, that would bless others, that would be worthy, not worthless, but worthy of the time that you've given me as a steward on this earth. Help me to see, a, see things in a, from an eternal perspective, that things here are just temporary, and there are many things that can catch our, our eyes, Father, that you would help us to fix our eyes on things that are worthy your word, that we would spend time with you, that we would meditate on you, that we would share your word, that we wouldn't just keep it for ourselves. Lord, this week as we as we are healing, just the promise of of salvation, that we have something to look forward to that is far, far, far more better than here. Lord, that a day, a day with you is worth a thousand elsewhere. Lord, help us in our in our times when we are struggling to recognize that your word is, is really the ground, it is the solid ground beneath our feet that we need to have in order to understand who you are and to have a relationship with you that is not just for here, but also for eternity. We ask that you bless this day as we, uh, as we fathers go out to celebrate that you are the perfect father, that you are the father that gives the definition of what fatherhood actually is all about, Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for how you love and give and, and, and your mighty arm in the, in the way that you have really conquered death and conquered uh, the sins that we have. And we just thank you so much as we leave here. We, we give your son praise and we follow him as, as our Savior and our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray this. Amen.